Good everybody, welcome to the Community Is Our Middle Name podcast, proudly brought to you by Grampians Community Health. My name is Gareth Olver, great to be with you again, and I have a really good episode for you guys this week. I'm speaking with Warren Davies, aka The Unbreakable Farmer. Now, Warren used to run a dairy farm over in Kyabram and still does some work in the agriculture sector, but his main gig now is going around and, and giving presentations and, and speaking to people about mental health, especially for people who are living and working on the land. So Warren, as I said, was running a farm, a dairy farm over there in Kai, had some mental health issues himself uh, and has thankfully come out the other side and is sharing his story and his experience with people, which is brilliant. And also really bringing home the need for people, especially people in rural areas, farming communities, farmers themselves, to actually get out there and, and put their hand up and say, yeah, this is this is happening and it's not good and I need some help. Great chat, really interesting guy, really, really good guy to chat to despite being a Richmond supporter. Uh, I will not say much more. I will let the podcast speak for itself. So here it is, my chat with Warren Davies, the Unbreakable Farmer, on the Community Is Our Middle Name podcast Proudly brought to you by Grampians Community Health. Grampians Community Health, of course, here for you, your family, and our community. I'm joined this week by Warren Davies, the unbreakable farmer. Warren, thank you so much for giving up a bit of time to come on the Communities and Middle Name podcast. No worries, mate. Uh, absolute um, pleasure to join you and, and have a chat. Mate, let's let's dive straight in. How did the unbreakable farmer, this whole idea and, and, uh, and what you do now, and actually I might get you to explain a little bit about what you're doing currently before we get too far into it, but how did it all come about? Well, basically, I was on this journey, um, the journey of searching for my identity and my purpose in life um, post um, losing losing our farm, which is p- part of my story. And uh, I've been talking to this guy. He's an entrepreneur and he, he was running a lot of self-development courses, et cetera, et cetera. And um, he decided that he wanted to um, or that he was – going to start a, a speaker course and anyway obviously over the period of time that we'd been talking we I shared a bit of my story and and he rang me and he said look I reckon you need to do this speaker course and I'm thinking yeah right sure just trying to put bums on seats and wanted to to fill up his course but um he go he said something to me in that conversation I'm thinking look public speaking's not for me because um if if you knew me well you'd know that Standing up in front of a room is not really um, – it sounds ironic because I'm a professional speaker, but standing up in front of a room of people is not ideal fun for me. Um, but one thing I'll, I'll explain how I've overcome that. But So he said, look, I believe you've got a story and who are you not to tell it? And that was the thing that got me over the line because I thought, well, you know, Maybe he's got a point there, and and look, I'm I'm on this journey and this search for who I am and what my purpose is. So why not do it? Uh, go back to um, saying that public speaking is not my ideal form of fun. I, I I now know that when I stand up on stage, even though my anxiety might be going through the roof, and 
I actually just did a post on Facebook about the, this whole thing about, you know, every gig, and I've been doing this for six years, the same form of anxiety kicks in. I, you know, get fairly overwhelmed, my head's racing and all that. But as soon as I stand up and I start speaking, my purpose takes over and it quells the anxiety because um, I know once I'm up there, there'll be at least one person in the room that will take something away from what I talk about or, um, or one of the strategies that I might use that they can either take away and use for themselves to help themselves or to help someone that they love. So by experience, I know that happens. Um, I'm fairly humble, so I'm not pumping my own tyres up, but that's how, like, I know from experience that that's what happens. So my purpose takes over then and the anxiety kind of subsides and calms, but it's... <laughs> but um, So that's really how it started. The Unbreakable Farmer started from that, doing that speaker course um my story is more about being broken than actually unbreakable but um here i am you know being a guest on on your podcast and i get to travel around australia and share my story and i would never have ever thought that that was ever going to happen when i started that speaker course but here i am and um yeah continuing to do what i do and i love you know getting out and about um, traveling around to communities around Australia and sharing my story and connecting with the people and, you know, hopefully, yeah, give them some tools or, you know, or they might resonate with my story and, as I said, to either help themselves or help someone that they love. So that's that's where I'm at at the moment. So, mate, we'll talk a bit about your story if, you, if you're happy to, to discuss it on here. Um, you know, I don't yep. want anyone, anyone who's... <laughs> I'm going to listen to this and say, oh, no, I won't, won't go and see one of Warren's, Warren's chats. I've just heard his story on the on the podcast. But you're uh, <laughs> happy to talk about it because you're actually, uh, for, for a bloke called The Unbreakable Farmer, you're a city lad originally, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, so my story, like part of my story was growing up in Melbourne and uh, mum and dad were small business owners and um you know, they had milk bars and post office and butcher shops. Dad was a butcher by trade. Um, but, yeah, for the first 15 years of my life, we, I grew up in Melbourne and um, Dad had always harboured this dream of being a farmer and, um, yeah, he decided that we were going to move to the country when I was 15, which I thought was fantastic for me, for an opportunity for me because, I, one, I was struggling at school Um for a number of reasons, but probably I'm self-professed. I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. So, um, you know, so I was struggling at school academically and also struggling with um, what I now know is my mental illness, I suppose, my and that was in the form of, like, you know, anxiety and low self-esteem and, and stuff like that. And a lot of that stemmed from... Uh, a fair amount of bullying at, at that school in that first three years of high school, um, which at the time, and there's an underlying theme to my whole story. And and in when if anyone comes to listen to me live, you'll that that comes out time and time again. Is like I never did anything about that though. I never reached out. I never acknowledged where I was at, and and the and probably didn't understand the effect that that bullying and and you know just those minor you know mental health challenges like anxiety or at that stage I thought they were minor but they, they're probably not and then they manifest in your life and if you don't do anything about this stuff it you know it can come and bite you on the backside which it eventually did to me and um 
yeah, so moving to the country was fantastic for me because of those struggles I was having there, moving, um, becoming dairy farmers. Dad wanted to be a dairy farmer. Um, moving to the country was great because it was a chance for me as a 15-year-old fella to be able to reinvent my life, I suppose, and leave what had happened behind, like what had happened in, in Melbourne as growing up. Not that it was all bad. Look, my... my I always make a point of this, like my upbringing was great. I come from a loving family, you know, but it was just some of the things that were having major impacts on me that I didn't really understand at the time. So moving to the country was that opportunity to be able to reinvent myself and um, but still struggled at school once we got to the country and ended up leaving school at 16 and becoming um, becoming a farm, like becoming a farmhand and that was the start of my, I suppose, my farming career. So, did you take over the family farm from from your dad? Uh, no, at the at that stage, leaving school, I went and worked for a, a fella, and I was lucky. I worked for one of the best farmers in the district. His reputation was, you know, always preceded him. He was you know, a really um, a really good operator. Um, so, I worked for him for six years, and it, and it wasn't until I was um, twenty two. I just turned 22, like so. I'd been there for close on six years. That um, that I realised that, or well, I thought, as that cocky 22 year old, like we've all been, um, I thought I knew everything I needed to know about farming, and I'd also um, got engaged to my girlfriend, and we were about to get married, and. I thought this is a perfect opportunity to go out on our own, and we looked at opportunities to do that, but none were really ticking our boxes and then all of a sudden a couple hundred acres come up for sale next door to mum and dad's farm so we decided to to buy that and create a family business so um, and that was at the age of 22 so then we worked together in partnership in a family business Um, that journey was going to be fraught fraught with danger from the start because as I said as a naive 22 year old going into a family business you know sometimes that can have its challenges that I probably didn't fully appreciate. Um, I went into business with the bank because they lent me the money, so I had to <laughs> pay them back. So they were, they were a business partner and then I had my silent business partner and her name was Mother Nature and she was the one that was going to um, come along and, you know, belt me over the head with the baseball bat a few times, I suppose, but also trigger what I now call my mental health journey, even though that started back and and I probably recognised through this speaker course we did a um, a really good exercise and it was an exercise um, about sitting down and unpacking your story and finding the value in your story and what you were going to share with an audience and was there any value in that. And a couple of things that I realised um, from doing that exercise were, one, because mum and dad were small business owners and we always moved around um, and really didn't have any connection to a community and community is really important to me and I was always that new kid on the block and even though, you know, I ended up with friends, look, as I said before, my, my upbringing's not all tragic news or anything. So I had some friends but it was always hard to find friends and then you'd move and then you'd have to make new friends again, which is for some people, that's easier. For me, it wasn't. Um, and the other thing that that's when I realised that I'd probably been struggling with my anxiety and low self-esteem and, you know, those mental health challenges from probably the age of seven. Um, I probably can nearly pinpoint that. Um, so it had been something that I've been 
you know, dealing with all my life, but it wasn't until going onto the farm that all that stuff started to show up in a, in a big way. And it was, you know, and Mother Nature triggered that by sending, you know, first time she come and visited us was to send us a flood and that was, you know, fairly trial, not traumatic event, I suppose, just a real challenging event like financially and as far as our business goes because it happened at a really bad time of the year, like everything was, you know, it was this time of the year. So, it was, you know, hay was ready to cut. The the um, cows were just about to hit peak production and all that stuff and next minute our whole farm was underwater and it um, taught me a lot of great lessons, that flood, like about, you know, resilience and being able to adapt to um, adverse situations and, and, you know, how to move forward and all that. But one thing that it did trigger was this mental health journey or what I now call my mental health journey that was a lot of that stuff that was being tucked away for a number of years now um, all surfaced to the top and I started to you know, get really anxious and, and, you know, that led to a, you know, real mild depression. But, um, you know, my late, my self-esteem really dropped because, you know, I thought this was all about me and it was nothing. Like I know now that didn't matter how hard I worked or how much I tried to control, I couldn't control Mother Nature. She was bigger and better than me. Um, but I wasted a lot of mental energy trying to do that. And so that started off that this journey and, um, it was like a cloud above my head, really. It was nothing to write home about. But um, as I said, that underlying part of my story keeps reappearing. And at that time, as a farmer, as a bloke, my whole focus was on I have to sort this out, get the farm back up and running and paid little respect to what I now know is the number one value, uh, number one um, asset, sorry, on that on our farm, and that was me. And I never paid any attention to that and anything to my mental health. And that really, you know, started this whole pattern and um, there are a number of other events that come along, which was, you know, family bust up on the farm and then which really challenged me because that was, um, you know, family my number one value. So that was a challenge. And then that really started, turned that cloud into a spiral um, and once again, didn't do anything about it. And then eventually Mother Nature come along again and sent a drought, which really um, sent that spiral into some really dark places. Yeah, it's a, um, it's it's an interesting story, Warren. I, I, I think it's one that's probably repeated right across the country when it comes to farmers. And I can I can speak to this, having family members who, who are farmers. Yeah. Um, Farming is almost like it's almost the ultimate form of gambling, isn't it? Because you're gambling on whether you get enough rain for your crops, whether it comes at the right time of year. You know, um, you're gambling on long-term weather patterns as to to whether you can have enough feed for your stock and things like that. And there's always been, and it sounds like you're in this boat as well. That that real stoicism around farmers that you know they have to almost have to be keeping up appearances that despite all this pressure that's coming down on the shoulders, they still have to be giving that appearance that, oh, no, she'll be right, you know, it'll turn around, everything will be okay. Um, is that something you've sort of seen in your travels and your discussions? Yeah, so one thing that I, like, always 
make clear because at the start of any of my talks or whatever and um, is I'm under the full understanding now that my story is not unique. Um, and But when you're going through something, some, you know, and some really dark times, sometimes you think you're the only person that's going through that as well. So, like, that can be a challenge. Like, So I realise now, like, after travelling around Australia, doing talks in many, many, many different communities that there's always a warrant in the audience. <laughs> um, there's always that one person. But um, that stoicism is something, you know, you know, we talk about the stigma around mental um, illness and suicide in our community, but that stoicism fuels a bit of that stigma as well sometimes because people are reluctant to talk because they feel that they've got to be this stoic, you know, unbreakable person that can just get, deal with anything. And one of the things, I get asked this question all the time about, you know, because resilience is this word that gets bandied around and it's a very overused word. And, you know, talking about being that resilient farmer and what's it mean to me? Well, it actually means a couple of things to me um, about being that person that can keep bouncing back and uh, nothing really worries them. And, uh, and the first one is it's like bungee jumping, I suppose. And one of the things that we do, which is part of my story, is that, like, I never did anything about my mental illness when I first knew about it and I just kept you know it'll be right it'll get better and I'll just keep going and and it's the best way I can explain what what resilience means to me which is really side by side with my my mental health journey as well is uh, resilience like bungee jumping and the most important part about bungee bungee jumping is the cord and if we don't maintain that cord on a daily basis well eventually we're not going to bounce back um, so we need to have those tools in our toolbox to be able to, you know, maintain that cord so we do bounce back or or we've got strategies that if we're not bouncing back as quickly as we want to, that what what strategies can we put in place? And the other side, the flip side of that is I heard a quote um, or read a quote once about what resilience meant to this farmer and and they'd written resilience to to a lot of people in rural communities is just the lack of other options. You have to keep going because, you, 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 you know, you, you basically you, your farms, you're 24-7, it's your everything. It's all consuming, particularly dairy farming because it's so intensive that you haven't got many other choices. You've just got to keep going. And, and that really resonated with me because that was me in the flood. I had to keep going, even though I knew that there was something going on or I didn't have time for that because I had to keep going, I had to keep the farm running and the same in the drought. And and even with our family bust up, it was the same. Never really took much time to even think about me. It was more about, well, what can I do to keep the farm going and how do I be a successful farmer instead of, bloody hell, I'm falling apart here, I need to do something about me. And um, so that's my my spin on being that stoic, resilient kind of farmer or rural uh, person that lives in a rural community. That's what it means to me. Like it's, there's two sides to it. We, we need to maintain that cord and sometimes instead of just bouncing back and keeping going forward because we've got no other options, we sometimes need to stop and reassess and where are we at and what can we do to, you know, to help ourselves to be able to move forward in a better in a better space. Some of the stuff you, sp- you spoke about then, Warren, actually, and, you know, I live my whole life 
pretty much, aside from a year or two in in Melbourne and in the Territory, uh, in regional Victoria. Um, town of living now is about 350 people, so obviously a lot of farming communities. But um, for, for me, some of the stuff you talk about, and I'm assuming you and I are around the same age. I'm, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I might have a few years on you. I've got a few greys in the beard. Um, but when you talked about looking back now, when you were younger, you can pick things up and you can now pinpoint and say, uh, okay, this is why I reacted this way. Or this is why this happened. Uh, it's stuff that I can relate to because I can look back, at, especially when I was a teenager, and, and say, look, I now know why I reacted this way in this situation. It's because unbeknownst to me, I was dealing with, you know, ridiculous levels of anxiety and, and you know, and, and depression and, and you know, potentially even some ADHD, which I, I'm undiagnosed. Um, but when when I was first diagnosed, and it might have been the same as you, there was, there was that real thing around, uh, there wasn't the understanding. I remember, remember people saying to me, oh, well, you know, you take your medication and then, you know, six months' time you'll be fine. And that's not the way it works, is it? Definitely not. That's And that's definitely my experience as well is that, when I talk about your your tools in your your mental health toolbox, you know, medication is only one tool. Um, that you need many many other strategies and you know um, and tools that you can use to be able to which make up the whole the whole puzzle. And that's one of the things that I'm really big on is like as I said, one of the th- things I realised from that speaker course is I had no attachment to community. Well, that's why community is so important to me. And some of the things that I've learned from communities that I've spoken in or actual individual people and the most powerful thing about any community, and this is a really good tool to have in your, in your mental health toolbox, is that the power of any community is in the shared wisdom. And so one of the, one of the things that really helped me is talking to people that, have been in a similar situation to me or dealt with similar stuff as far as their mental health goes and think, well, yeah, well, I'm not alone and there's other people going through this even though I thought it was just me. As I said, my story's not unique and I've realised that by that shared wisdom and, um, and it's one of the things that drives me doing what I do now is because everyone that we know is travelling a journey. Um, you know, you and I, we're travelling journeys. They can can be completely different but along that journey we all pick up some wisdom and and that going back to what that that um the facilitator of the speaking course said to me he goes you've got a story and who are you not to share it well it's the same that shared wisdom i could hold a piece of your jigsaw puzzle for instance that you're searching for and even though i might think it's so insignificant in my life it might be the vital piece that you need to be able to move forward again like so that one of those tools in my toolbox is that shared wisdom of community and it's so powerful and and that's why you know part of my mission so my i've got a mission that's got three parts and it's about creating awareness and education around mental health and well-being particularly in rural communities because obviously that's where i come from but the second second part's about inspiring conversations and that's really important and I think that's what drives me to do what I do by sharing my story at wherever whatever platform I get to share it um, hopefully that empowers um, or encourages 
other people then to share their story. And if we all keep talking about this stuff, we start breaking one, breaking down the stigma, but two, sharing some wisdom that could help the next person. You don't know, you know, you know that that pure, my pure definition of an expert, for instance, is you know you only have to be a week or two ahead of the person that you're talking to to be an expert because you've already lived that, you've already lived that thing. So just one little piece that you could help and so that's why I share my story the way I do so from growing up and you know the challenges I had as a kid but also my farming story because someone's going to resonate with part of that story somewhere along the way and that's going to hopefully help them go oh it sounds like me maybe I should go and get some help now instead of doing what Warren did and waited for too long and um you know and that hindered his recovery maybe I should go now and as I said, like I'm really humble and I don't like blowing my own tyres up, but that happens at talks. Like I've got people that I'm still in contact with that might have come to a talk four years ago and that was their light bulb moment, just sitting in that audience say, and saying, well, that's me, I better do something about this. So they went and did something about it, which was, you know, and that's that shared wisdom that I can pass on, you know, not that... It mightn't help everyone, but if there's one person in the room that it does help, then I'm a happy man. So, mate, the the last few years in particular, we've seen some really big weather events, especially on the eastern seaboard, and we're looking at, at more floods uh, in parts of New South Wales, Queensland, Victoria. Again, in fact, this morning before you and I were were chatting, I was quickly browsing Twitter. You know, when I was on my break, in case anyone from work's listening, um, and I saw that uh, Lexton, a little town not too far from here, uh, was was flooded from the all the rains we've had recently. As someone who's been through that, lived you know, lived and worked on a farm, has been through extreme weather events. What and look, I know everyone's everyone's story is different, everyone's um, background is different, but. From your lived experience, what what would advice would you give to some of the farmers who might be waking up this morning to to crops that are decimated because we've had just buckets of rain? So it's it's a really tough one, and it it's a really tough thing to answer because some people, and we've we've noticed this in any any event, like whether it's floods, droughts, bushfires, or COVID. There's people that have thrived and there's people that have sunk, basically. Uh, and um, so there'll be people out there that are, have got a, the mindset where they're rejoicing the rain, but then there's someone, like you said, that all have woken up this morning, their crops are underwater. And the harsh reality of one of the lessons that I learned, at the end of the day, um, that crop or that farm or whatever is just a business. It's not you and that's one of the things that I really struggled with for a long time because when we lost our farm, um, which I probably haven't really elaborated on, but when I lost my farm, I lost my identity at the same time because my whole being, my whole identity was wrapped up in that farm. I was Warren the farmer and everything that I lived and breathed, um, including family, all revolved around that farm and it wasn't until... I lost that farm and lost my identity and then had to go on this search to find my purpose and my identity again, which led to that speaker course, is that, yeah, at the end of the day, it's only a business. You can rebuild um, and don't get me wrong, I've just come back um, a couple of weeks ago from speaking in 
bushfire affected and bushfire slash and flood affected communities on the south coast of um, New South Wales and like there's people there that are still living in caravans two and a half years later and you can't even fathom how that is like you know like I can empathize but I can't even fathom what they would be like you know because they're still showering in an outside shower because they can't build a house it's like so everyone's journey is different but at the end of the day I think that the, the the whole thing is is you've got to look after yourself because if if you completely fall apart which I did um, and as I said most of the stuff that I share are my failures not my and they're my lessons in life and that's my wisdom that I can pay forward but you know you've got to look after yourself and you've got to make sure that you know even if that if if you're falling apart and that crops underwater there's nothing you can do about it it's underwater and you've got to make sure that you're in a space that when you can do something about it you're in a space that you can then move forward um, and not be in a space where you can't move forward or backwards and you're just stuck you need to have strategies and and people in your support network that you can talk to to make sure that you're in your in your best um headspace once that disaster is is gone and then you can start that recovery process but if you get to the stage where you're in a dark spiral well that makes that recovery that recovery process so much harder yeah, and it's also, and we we spoke about it earlier, it's about, you know, sometimes swallowing your pride as well and saying, I need to speak to someone, I need to reach out and get help, isn't it? It was interesting because I like, so one of the other things that I've realised as a speaker, there's power in storytelling. So there's a bit of a story around that, like, and that really made me aware of shared wisdom as well, is that I did a speaking gig on the Gold Coast and... I, I thought I'd stuffed it up. It was my biggest opportunity that I'd, that I'd, uh, biggest room that I'd spoken in front of. There was like 800 people in the room and, and I kind of thought I'd stuffed it a bit anyway. At the end of the talk, this guy, this fella come up to me, he's in his middle 70s. He's this huge man and, and before my talks, I always say, look, if I talk about some challenging stuff, if you need to leave the room because um, you're sick of listening to me or whatever, I make a bit of a joke about it just give me a thumbs up. Um, but if you are struggling and you have to leave the room because you're triggered by anything that I'm talking about, give me a thumbs down. I'll make sure someone comes out and supports you. And this guy come up to me and he, he reeled off a, a number of, which I can't say on this podcast, but if, uh, if we were talking off air, I could tell you what he said, but he called me a few words that started with a couple of letters and he, he, he gave it to me basically. And, he, and I said, hey, whoa, it really blew me away because I already was sulking because I thought I'd stuffed, I stuffed up my speaking gig. Um, and he said to me, he goes, well, how the hell was I meant to stand up in front of 800 people and walk out of the room and give you the thumbs down because – I'm the best farmer in my district and if I'd have done that, everyone would have known I was a weak bastard and I said, oh, I reckon you've missed the whole point of what I've just spoken about and that's the that's the power, embracing your vulnerabilities and that's a strength, not a weakness and he saw it as a weakness because he thought he had to be and that's the way he'd been brought up. As I said, he was middle 70s. He had to be this strong, stoic farmer and not show anyone the ironic part about that is when I speak, I call it the Michael Hutchins syndrome because if I'm a massive In Excess fan and Michael Hutchins 
wouldn't have made it if he was playing to 100,000 people at Wembley Stadium in, in England. He only saw the first seven rows of people. He was short-sighted. So it was an intimate concert. Every in excess concert was an, in, was an intimate concert because he couldn't see past that. He could hear the noise but couldn't see the people. I do the same thing because of my anxiety before a speaking gig goes through the roof. So once I start speaking, I try and pick out a few people in the audience that are resonating with my story and it makes me look like a good speaker because I'm, you know, and hopefully they're scattered across the room because I'm, anyway, I noticed this fella sitting there and I, so I said to him, I pulled him up and I said, listen, I've seen you, I, I, I could see that you were resonating with my story and I've seen you with, with two blokes. Who are they? And he goes, they're my best mates. We've grown up together. So as I said, they're middle, like, you know, late 60s, middle 70s kind of age. So they've grown up. They've been friends for a lifetime. And I said, do they know what you've just told me? And they, he goes, no bloody way. Because once again, if they, had no, if they knew about what I just told you, they'd think I was a weak bastard. And I'm thinking, right, you're at a conference. So even if you're a, even if you're a tight ass, you don't even have to buy a, you know, buy a drink, go and grab a couple of beers and go and tell those guys what you just told me. Well, the ironic part is, is half an hour later, those those two fellas come back to me and said, we didn't know any of this. Like we've known each other our lo- whole lifetime. We never knew that he was struggling. But the ironic part is, is one of the other mates had been struggling with his mental health for 20 years as well and hadn't opened his mouth either. But they're best mates and they're neighbours and and they've lived their whole life together but they, two of them were really struggling with their mental health but they were too stoic to actually talk about it. So I think that's what we've got to do is you know, part of my mission is inspiring those conversations and breaking down those barriers because it's okay to be not okay and it's all right to speak about this stuff and particularly with your mates or and I'm really big on who's your five people in your in your um in your support network, whether they're friends, family, you know, doctors, psychologists, or, you know, from, in my case, two parts of my support network are my dogs, like just someone to talk to, you know, and, and, and so they know and they're there to support you and, and it doesn't matter what you tell them, you know, and they're there to support you. And, and now these three blokes know each other's stories and they're there on a whole different level to support each other now. It's not, you know oh, shit, George, we've had a frost today and that's nailed the crop. You know, the conversation's a lot deeper than that now. It's, you know, man, how are you travelling? Are you going all right? You know, we've had a, you know, bit of a wet month. Are you travelling okay? You know, you know, is there anything we want to talk about? They have those conversations now instead of just those superficial conversations. It goes a lot deeper. And I think if more of us can do that, we start creating these support networks that build a more resilient community because... You know, even though we don't know each other, I'm sure there'll be someone within our support network or in our network that knows both of us and all of a sudden those those support networks start to interlink and that's what creates that really resilient community and a community that can support each other through thick and thin, I suppose. Mate, you still on the farm? I, I know when I... I rang and spoke to you the other day you said you're out on the tractor um are you still farming yeah. look um i'm not dairy farming anymore and since covid i've been working on a farm like because obviously covid stopped me traveling with my speaking so i had to to find something else to do for a couple of years just to 
you know, obviously I kept doing online stuff, but the traveling was out of the question. So I started working on a on a farm. It was actually it's all it's a mixed cropping kind of farm. Tomatoes, um, we grow corn, wheat, um, different crops. Um, driving, yeah, so driving tractors. So that's been you know, well, agriculture basically has been my saving grace because I always say that the skills that agriculture have taught me, they've taught me some really harsh lessons, but they've taught me some really good lessons as well. And that's been able to sustain my way through the last couple of years with COVID to get to the other side and, and still be able to be the speaker and that person that gets out into communities and keeps speaking. So, yeah, still um, on my days where I'm not speaking, still out driving tractors and doing, you know, shed work and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, um, yeah, always grateful to agriculture and what it's um, the skills that it's taught me and embrace the lessons, the other lessons that it also taught me as well. Absolutely. And yeah, it's it's something also that we need to pass down to next generations. I often tell my, my kids that it's okay to fail. And uh, I'm I'm a big basketball fan. I, I grew up playing basketball from the time I was about six years old. And I um, always tell my kids that, that Michael Jordan got cut from his high school basketball team and look what he went on to do. So it's okay to fail because that is how we learn things. So that's that's a little lesson I, I like to impart. <laughs> yeah, well, one, one of his... I love one of his coach. Uh, one of his quotes: "You, know, you miss a hundred percent of the shots that you don't put up," and that's like I'm a bit of a basketball fan myself, and and that's really true. Like, yeah, you know, you can get knocked down and you can you can miss shots at life, but um, if you don't put the next shot up, you're never know, you're never gonna know. So that next one could be the three pointer that you're gonna that you're gonna nail. So you know it's um sporting analogies are always good i'm a massive footy fan so i use a lot of sporting analogies in my talk so <laughs> and that resonates with with um with with regional people because sport is something that brings a lot of us together like we had uh, our our local footy club had the, their presentation uh day and and my kids are involved with the junior netball and you know it was great great community event so that that would work a lot with a lot of the people you're speaking to yeah, well, especially when I'm speaking interstate, New South Wales and Queensland, it's a great icebreaker because I talk about, if I talk about footy, I go, yeah, yeah, you know, the real footy, not not the pretend stuff you play up here. And that's generally my icebreaker that gets, like, that gets everyone's attention or gets the conversation going because I've, um, yeah, I'm a Mexican from Victoria and I'm telling them that rugby is not the real footy and that's, they really get them going and gets him engaged so it's always sports always a good um icebreaker in any any situation <laughs> and just to pull the curtain back warren's just said that to a person who's wearing a melbourne storm beanie so there you go um <laughs> warren where, where can people get hold of you online or, or find out a bit more about yourself and your story Look, I'm um, all over social media. Um, I'm not all over it, but I'm all over it, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah, so on Facebook or Instagram or, or Twitter, um, The Unbreakable Farmer, you'll probably generally find me. Or um, on my website, it's www.theunbreakablefarmer.com.au. And, you know, if you want to connect with me, there's a form there you can fill out. And um, if you either want me for a, a, like a speaking gig or just want to reach out and have a chat, I'm happy to do that as well. So, you um, you can get in touch with me in any of those ways. And I'll put a link to to your website in the show notes as well and also to your uh, to your Facebook page as well. Warren, mate, I really appreciate you giving up some time to come on and have a chat on the podcast. Uh, it's It's been great. Um, 
anytime you want to come back on, just give us a shout and uh, we'll make it happen. And, and best of luck with the speaking gigs. Good on you, mate. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to have a chat. So, um, and keep doing your good work. It's, it's um, as I said the other day when we had our first chat um, on the phone. I um, I was sitting in the tractor, so I jumped straight on Spotify and uh, Spotify and had a few listens to a couple episodes. So, yeah, you're doing a great job. So, um, keep it up. Thanks again, Warren, for coming on the podcast. It's greatly appreciated. I know that uh, he's a very busy man. In fact, after we finished talking, he was getting ready to head up to New South Wales to do a presentation up there. So thank you again, Warren, for coming on the podcast. If you want to find out a bit more about Warren, you can look him up on all the socials, as he said, or you can go to www.theunbreakablefarmer.com.au, find out more information about Warren and uh, his story and his journey and, and you know, maybe if he's uh, giving a talk somewhere near you in the near future. This podcast is, of course, the community is our middle name podcast, and it's proudly brought to you by Grampians Community Health. Grampians Community Health offers a wide range of services right across Western Victoria, servicing the following local government areas, Northern Grampians Shire, Arrett Rural City, Horsham Rural City, West Wimmera Shire, Hindmar Shire, Yarriambiak Shire, Bull Oak Shire, Southern Grampian Shire, Pyrenees Shire, and Central Goldfields Shire regions. So uh, right across the Grampians, we were up into the Mallee, across to the South Australian border, massive area that we cover. And we offer the following services across these areas, alcohol and other drug support, carer support, family violence assistance, aged care and NDIS support, including NDIS support coordination and plan management, and home care package case management for aged care mental health services, counselling across a wide range of sectors, and so much more, so much more. To find out more, because it's a lot, and I'm not going to read them all off to you right now, go to our website, gch.org.au. We've got all our programs listed there and all the areas that we cover listed on the website as well. To find out more about Grandpids Community Health, of course, you can follow us on social media. So we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we're on YouTube, on Facebook, we're facebook.com slash Grampians Community Health, or just search for Grampians Community Health. If you're on Instagram and Twitter, at GCH Grampians, that is our handle on both of those sites. So make sure you give us a follow on all those sites and uh, subscribe to our YouTube page as well to see what else is coming out on there. This podcast is available on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Podbean, anywhere good podcasts are found, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, you name it, you'll find it. Uh, whatever you listen to to your podcasts on, you'll find this one. So make sure you subscribe. And uh, if you're an Apple Podcasts, subscribe and leave a, a review, a written review. It really does help people find the podcast. It lets the algorithm do its thing and makes uh, more more visible to people so more people can have a listen and uh, hopefully take something from the messages that we're getting out there. Of course, if you subscribe, you're never going to miss an episode as well. And you can download them at your leisure, listen to them at your leisure, which is the wonderful thing about podcasts. The intro and outro music for this podcast is an original composition made specifically for GCH by the very talented Andrew Parsons. And he gave us permission to use the intro and outro music. And we thank him for that. And this podcast was recorded and produced on the traditional lands of the Jabwarong people. And we pay our respects to all elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all Aboriginal people. 
Really good episode. I'm really, really stoked with uh, my conversation with Warren. I think he's a really interesting guy, and I, I got a lot out of out of talking to him, which, you know, is one of the one of the reasons I, I do this show, as I say quite often. I hope you guys will join me again for the next episode. We're getting closer to that 50 episode mark, which is really exciting. Until then, my name is Gareth Oliver. It's been an absolute pleasure to spend some time talking to you guys. And uh, I'll be back shortly with another episode of the Community's Eminent Name podcast, proudly brought to you by Grandpins Community Health. Grandpins Community Health is here, of course, for you, your family, and most importantly to us, our community. So long.